continue in worship this morning by turning in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Conclude this morning where we began last week in relationship to two kinds of seekers that the text describes for us. How many of you are wearing something that you got for Christmas? Anyone? Are you? I am. I got this tie. You can examine it after church. (laughs) My wife always taught me that the shirt makes the suit, but the tie makes the outfit. So I know I look good today. I read something over Christmas. It said, Dear Santa, all I want is a fat bank account and a skinny body. Please don't mess it up. Please don't mess it up again like you did last year. (laughs) Things that consume us, right? Two kinds of seekers. We said that there's one seeker that is self governed. The grammar of the text tells us that there's a seeker that pursues living for what they can eat, what they can drink, and what they can wear. They consume living for the temp- they're consumed living for and then consumed by that which is temporary. And they define how they do that. And then we said there's a second level seeker, and that second level seeker found in verse 33 is governed by another source. They're not self-governed. They're not self-defined. They're governed by God. And they're told by that God, by Jesus Christ, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things that level one seekers, those who live their lives to be consumed by fulfilling their own needs and their desires, right? All those things naturally come to someone who prioritizes being consumed by the Lord and his goals for us. His goals for us. We're not going to spend much time reviewing what we discussed last week. You can go back on our website and and certainly find uh, that sermon in audio or video form. We concluded last week by asking the question, no matter what your passions, are they governed by the Lord, or are you seeking to be self-governed? There's an amazing reality to this governing principle for the faithful believer, for the one who is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, For the one who, according to Colossians 3, as we concluded last week, is set in their affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For someone, as we looked at last week in chapter 6 here in verse 19, is not seeking to store up for themselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and seal. For someone, according to 1 Peter 5, is humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God and waiting for his exaltation of their life, there's something that is controlled in their life. 
Notice I said it's not dismissed from their life. There's something controlled in their life because they are being governed by another source of the Lord and because they're obeying what he's commanded them to do and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's something else here not hidden in the text, actually mentioned three times in the text, that again, is not expunged from their life, but is controlled, and that's anxiety. That's worry. I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, right? it's natural for us to be anxious. But if we're governed by God, it's unnatural for us to remain anxious. I think it's natural for us to worry and to be concerned, but it's unnatural for that vice, if you will, to govern us or to consume us. Three times we found in the text last week, we outlined it and closed our sermon. In verse 25 of chapter 6, Jesus says in the middle part of the Sermon on the Mount here, in this practical area of living, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. He goes on to say in verse 31, you may have marked it down last week, do not worry then. And in verse 34, he says, so do not worry. Do not worry. The first admonition in verse 25 is a command. It's a command similar to the grammar that we found in the first part of verse 33. You seek first. You prioritize, right? And this is a command telling us again that when we're consumed by God and his priorities, and that means we're governed by somebody else to be consumed by those priorities, and the grammar here tells us then that we're helped by a divine source because what God commands us to do, he offers us the grace to fulfill that command. So when God says, do not worry about your life, he's coming alongside to assist us in making sure that we can follow that command. The second and third admonitions here, do not worry then, and, and so do not worry about tomorrow, the grammar indicates then a lifestyle that is continued as we follow the imperative of verse 25. The grammar is different. Those two second admonitions are not commands. The grammar shows a lifestyle. So the grammar of this little narrative, really, or this sermon, this practical part of the sermon, would tell us that, again, when we're governed by a God, a different source, we're born-again people, right, that we're able to seek his priorities, and while we're seeking his priorities, we'll also be able to live not an anxious, free life, but a life that's governing our anxiety. It's God who's disciplining us not to worry, and it's also telling us that those that are self-governed, a natural part of the self-governed life is anxiety and worry. So we have the lifestyle of a believer and then we have a lifestyle of unbelief. Something or someone is always governing us. 
or seeking to govern us, right? We know 1 Peter 4, 8. We know the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 4, 2 Peter 3, 8. The God of this world described as a roaring lion in that text is walking about, lurking about, seeking whom he may devour. There's always something or someone seeking to govern you. And for us as believers, obviously, that's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we seek his priorities that we'll talk about here in a little bit, there's something else that he's able to help us govern and not be governed by, and that's anxiety and worry. Again, verse 25, don't be worried about your life. And life is compared to what there? What we eat, what we drink, or what our body will put on. So apparently much of our lives are consumed making sure that we can eat and have clothes. Now that's true, right? That's not difficult to comprehend. Verse 31, Matthew's essentially saying the same thing. He switches, up, he switches it up a little bit in verse 34 by saying, don't worry just about food, clothing, shelter, what you're going to drink. He said, just don't even worry about like tomorrow. Right? And really, don't even worry about tomorrow is more logically connected to the command in verse 25. Don't even worry about your life. Life has components to it. Food, clothing, drink, shelter, certainly. But really, there's no part of our life that we ought to be living governed by anxiety or worry. I want you to go with me now in verse 26, verse 30, and verse 34, and if you believe in writing in your Bibles, or maybe you can underline in your device, um, I want you to underline these three words, okay? In verse 26, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet you're heavenly, and I want you to underline the word Father. Your Father feeds them. And then he concludes verse 26, Jesus does by saying, are you not worth much more than they? So again, highlighting the word Father there. Go down with me to verse 30 if you would. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow and is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little, and underline the word faith. So there's Father and there's faith. And if you'll step down to verse 34 with me for a moment. So do not worry about, and we've talked about a little bit this morning already, underline the word tomorrow tomorrow. I want to focus on these three words and finish with some concluding applications this morning, and I want to title these three words from these three verses in these ways. First of all, I want to focus on our relationship. As we pursue divine things together this year, as we're going to be consumed by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we all have to understand that in Jesus Christ, we do have a relationship, and that's with our Heavenly Father. Talk about what Jesus says about that relationship a little bit in this text. Verse 30, oh, you of little faith. I, I'd like you to associate the word responsibility with that word. 
Jesus is saying, look, you do have a faith which by God's grace compels you to adhere to and live by. You have the faith, though you have little faith. Why are you being governed by anxiety? You don't have to be governed by If you would just prioritize, if you would just take my grace and allow it to operate in your life, practically, again, here's responsibility. But it's not performance. This is not something that God hands out A, B, C's, D's, and F's for. You all probably read a quote by Spurgeon that was floating around social media before when you're in Christ or because you're in Christ, that just means at one point Jesus Christ stood before God as you and allowed you to stand before God as him. You're perfect in Jesus Christ. God doesn't love you any less or any more if you have a good day or a bad day because he loves his son in you. This has zero to do with performance or the analysis of your life day by day is not receiving a grade or a GPA. Okay? If you were to grade my life every day, you probably wouldn't even want me to be your pastor. We're in Jesus Christ. And because we are in Jesus Christ, we understand that the grace of Jesus Christ compels us unto a divine responsibility. And that responsibility is seeking first. We'll talk about that. And then I want to talk about our reward. We have a, we have a father, we have a relationship, we have a faith, we have a responsibility, and we have a reward, we have a future. And that future's tomorrow. So let's go back and talk about a little bit, a few comments about each one of these. Someone who is a seeker of the kingdom of God and his righteousness appreciates and develops the relationship with their father. He says in verse 26, of the birds of the, of the air... The Father feeds them. What, is, what else does it say in, in verse 26? They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And in Jesus Christ, are you not much more than a bird? Right. Well, these are couple arguments here that argue from the least to the greatest and then the greatest to the least but regardless of the argumentation method the Lord Jesus uses he asks here aren't you much greater than the birds and and look at how the father cares for the birds they don't have barns they have nests those nests aren't very big birds don't have savings accounts They're not inactive, though, are they? My wife's an absolute bird lover. My dad was, too. I didn't get that gene. But I like birds. I like watching birds that don't mess up my house and my porch. Right? 
So my, li- my wife likes watching birds that mess up our house on our porch. So I seek to try to enjoy what she enjoys. And I'll tell you what, I, I've got multiple bird feeders out. I put them up after. It doesn't matter how, what I do. I put them up, and I uh, put one of them up last week, and we counted 32 birds on one feeder. Now I'm asking my wife, if, if, if we don't have that feeder, are those birds going to die? I mean, we put it out there like their existence depends on us. Oh, don't be silly, Tim. Well, then why are we so passionate about putting... You know, that bird feed costs money. <laughs> you know, can you find a government thing that feeds birds for free from our tax dollars, you know? I mean, obviously, if the bird feeder's not there, God's going to take care of that bird, right? I guess we could say that for all of our furry friends and feathery friends in our lives, Right? God's created animals to take care of themselves or to be taken care of. They don't have storehouses. They don't have bank accounts. But are birds busy? I'll tell you what, those 32 birds were never immobile. They were always busy. They were doing their thing. They were chirping. They seemed happy if birds can have emotions. The big black bird comes in like the bully of the neighborhood and blue jays are just pretty bullies, right? They just come in there and they scatter. As soon as they go, all the 32 little birds come back, right? But all those birds are never dormant. They're always active, but they're active doing what? Enjoying the supply of their creator. Kind of reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter one. We looked at the natural rhythms of creation. And how the rivers are always going to flow. The sun will always shine. The wind will always blow. Some things God has just put into natural created order. And it's self-sustaining. Hey, the birds are okay. And are you not in Christ much more than they? And quite frankly, I think the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, because I don't believe everyone in earshot of the Sermon on the Mount was a believer. Are you not much more than the bird because you are created in my image and they're not? Right? And obviously it's a a rhetorical question. Heads may have been nodding. Okay, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I'm made in your image. I'm one of your creations. I have a soul. And then for those who were born again, right? Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Our Father does take care of us. And then he highlights flowers here in verse 28, right? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, verse 30, of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We'll get to that in just a moment. But the Father, specifically and intricately, and I would say lavishly, clothes his creation with beauty. I was on the mission field in Germany not long ago, and the missionary friend picked me up, and he really 
allowed to obey the speed limit in Germany where there is no speed limit, right? And we're clipping along. There's this other pastor in the back seat that he also picked up from the airport in the country in which he serves. There's a speed limit. Well, obviously, we have speed limits here. There's, there wasn't in Germany. I don't even know if there is, maybe. I didn't see any. And if there was, he wasn't obeying it. So I looked down at his speedometer, and we're doing 130 miles an hour. This dude's like 67. <laughs> I'm a little worried about the reflex action. And then I'm, I'm rationalizing in my mind, right? Dude, if I'm 27 and going 130, and everyone else is going 140 to 150, because we're getting blown by like we're going 20 miles an hour, right? I'm not even exaggerating. Have you ever been to Germany? Ever been in that, that kind of situation? I was like, you know what? We're all going to die anyway. Doesn't matter how quick your reflex reaction is, we're all gone. No one can reflect, you know, react that quickly at that kind of speed. So I had to get my mind distracted away from his speedometer, so I began to look out the side window, and everything immediately next to me was just like a blur, right? Everything's going by so fast. So I had to look out farther. And as I looked out farther, things slowed down because uh, I was looking at a bigger picture. And it's beautiful, grassy, lush meadows of the German countryside. And they were just, they were just um, saturated with beautiful flowers. When Jesus says here lilies, I think we often think of Christmas or Easter lilies, right? Um, ones that you can plant and, man, you know, take care of and nurture and so forth. The word here actually means wildflower. He's not talking about some plant, an orchid, or some type of, you know, annual or perennial that you can plant and care for. He's talking about things that, are, that seed themselves, that apparently take care of themselves. But what he's basically saying here, who takes care of them? Beautiful yellow, purple, white, lavender, pink. I mean, the, these colors just, just layering the, oh, and, and within the lush green country, a German countryside. And I just lost myself in the beauty, the particular beauty of all those colors that made up the landscape. And as I was thinking about this text, I thought about that situation I was in and I thought, wow, those are wild flowers. And how beautiful, right? And it actually settled my mind and distracted me a whole lot much more than his speedometer was. But our Father does that. And if he does that for the wildflower, And notice the first word of verse 28, or the middle part of verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? And what's that powerful verb there? Observe. Observe how the lilies. So apparently, it was good for me to ponder the German countryside. You know, I've told you before, my grandma always said, Tim, you need to slow down, you need to smell the roses once in a while. It's good for us to slow down and just consider how God's created order is naturally cared for by the Father, by the Creator. It's something good for our soul because the first level seeker, the person that's always striving to be self-defined and self-consumed by getting food, clothing, shelter, and stuff, 
they're so busy they don't have time really to just do that but there's something more than just stopping and looking this this word observe is is much more than observing detail it's taking the detail to heart and he makes that application here you see the detail how do you take that detail to heart and this is how you do it your father much more the grammar there's very very clear he much more lavishes you with practical care to the point where they're even decked out more than wealthy solomon in his finest suit of clothing i was at a sporting event recently and if a kid college kid made a basket chick-fil-a was going to be his for free for a year and he made a half-court shot. And he got Chick-fil-A for a year. And you're thinking, you know what? Good for that kid. I think he's going to get sick of Chick-fil-A, but good for that kid, you know? <laughs> Chick-fil-A is going to lose a customer by giving them free stuff. Just kidding. Then I'm watching a bowl game. And on the screen comes this picture of a guy that goes to one of my best friend's churches in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, Morgantown, West Virginia. And if he throws more footballs through a hole of a simulated Dr. Pepper can, he gets all of his grad school paid for. If he throws more through there than he does the guy next to him. So my friend Treg gets on Facebook and they kind of pre-interview this guy before he starts throwing balls into the honking Dr. Pepper can that has a hole in it. And he says, what are you going to do with this money? He said, well, hopefully I'm going to use it to God's glory. I know he's from the University of West Virginia. I know he's from Morgantown. And, um, and he, he, he talks about the Lord Jesus a little bit. And he says, I just hope I'm going to use it for the right reason. Right? So Treg's on Facebook and he's saying, he's a member of my church. Pray for him. And he gets more balls through the hole. And he did win. $150,000, right? I think it was. Grad school's paid for. Good for him. I was in New York City not long ago, visiting with my son. And we were walking around the city looking at, um, I had never done this before. It was kind of a bucket list thing for my wife. And, and uh, she goes, you know, let's get on the internet and let's find out where all the shopping places are that have decorated windows uh, for Christmas. And boy, we saw some really bizarre things, but, you know, one of the stores, I think it was Bloomingdale, said some really, really nice, doesn't matter. We, we did this, right? We not only looked at the windows, we went inside the stores. And I'm finding coats whether they be Canada Goose or Burberry or others that are up to, in the price tag, up to $13,000 for a coat. And I'm like feeling really bad because I'm wearing this like coat that I got off a clearance rack at a sports store for $15. And I'm kind of feeling out of place at this time. I don't feel like I fit. I don't feel like I'm worthy <laughs> to be there. And then I'm thinking... Who does this? Like, who spends this kind of money on a coat? 
I mean, are they really going to be more warm than I am? Are they wearing it for the patch? You know, all these things go through your mind. Doesn't matter. But even with a $15,000 coat, Chick-fil-A for a year, grad school paid for, right? The wildflowers are still cared for even better. And then how much more even you by your father, right? So what about responsibility? Oh, you have little faith. I was listening to a podcast recently. It reminded us that we don't have a bag of doctrines. We have a body of doctrine. So many times we as Christians get distracted by or we neglect a particular doctrine in a bag of doctrines that we have, but we have to understand that this book is not full of a bag. It's a body of doctrine. It all works together to describe for us our Father, to describe for us our Savior, and describe for us the gospel so that we can be born again, so that we know how to, by God's grace, not be evaluated by, but be graced with the opportunity to obey God's word unto Christ's likeness. So what do second-level seekers do? They're consumed with the development of their faith. Now, obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ is challenging their faith. If you're going to seek first, you won't be anxious, but because you're anxious because you're not seeking first, you're concerned about food, clothing, and drink. I don't know. I'm going to challenge your faith here. People who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, people who seek first to develop their faith, and the doctrines in their body of their faith, these are people that truly understand the Father, and these are people that by his grace know how to be conformed to the image of Christ. We've got to know the word of God, increasingly so. And right here in the margin of your Bible, really, Hebrews chapter five, verses 11 and 12. For when some of you ought to be teachers, right? You're still little ones. When you ought to be eating meat, you're still thriving on milk. And because you're thriving on milk and not meat, you're not able, the writer of Hebrews says there, to discern between good and evil. You're immature. Jesus is saying here, look, immaturity is governed by anxiety. But when our faith is developed and we continually understand our Father and the nature of our Father and who He is and what He's done for us in Christ, maturity is developed and anxiety is dealt with. Not expunged, it's dealt with. How do we learn at grace? Last week we looked at verses 16, right? And 17 and 18. It all starts with personal self ministry. And then you might even have a time as a family to read and pray together. If you don't, I hope you'll have that. Especially for your little ones growing up on into junior high. There's multiple layers here. Many of you are studying God's word with each other. And if you're not, that's a divine thing we can do together this year, is add you unto one of those Bible study entities. In addition to that, we have T3 courses, right? Now we have micro courses. In addition to that, we have GLBI courses. 
In addition to that, we have signature Sunday night topics. In addition to that, right, we have small group financial this, that, and the other. And in addition to that, my friends, we're layered, we're saturated. We're absolutely potentially drowning in the sea of God's goodness of learning about our faith. What governs you? What drives you? Right? Jesus is saying, don't let your faith be little, let it be great. And then our reward is simply enjoyed, right? We understand the Father, we understand the development of our faith. And he says in verse number 34, so do not worry about your reward. Don't worry about the reward of your future. Don't worry about tomorrow. We can kind of have like a spiritual orphan any reality, right? The sun's going to come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar it's going to happen, right? It's going to come out but I'm not going to worry about it. Little orphan Annie had a little Ecclesiastes 1 flowing through her brain, her, her veins, I think, right? It's going to happen. So enjoy your father today. Realize who he is and what he's done. Develop your faith today. That's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a second level seeker. That's being governed by another source than yourself. That's God. What does worldliness do? They live for the temporary and the here and now and not the eternal. They're governed by it. Recently, I had heard that there was the greatest chicken wings in Mentor were at a particular place, so... I was traveling home and I got on my phone, somebody else was driving, and I said, hey, I'd like to order some chicken wings. I'm going home to watch a football game with my kid. And I hear you have the greatest wings in town, right? This was actually last night. (laughs) Coming home from Pennsylvania. They said, cool. I said, I'll be there in about 20 minutes. Is that good? They said, yep. So I got there and I walked in and it's a place I'll probably never go back to again. You know, sometimes you go to these places and you walk in and you're experiencing them for the first time at a particular time of day and it's kind of like, oh wow, I don't, I don't think even a Christian belongs in here, let alone a pastor, right? But I already ordered them. They had already made them. I had a choice to make. I could walk out because the, the environment repulsed me so much or I could not waste food God provided. I didn't know what to do. I felt I was, I was tugged between two ethical things. So I went over in the corner and got on my phone and put my head down, right? And I'm on my phone so no one would see me, right? And someone that looked familiar did see me. I was like, oh, me? <laughs> so I turned around and it was her and I said, this is really loud in here. I don't like it in here. Just to let her know I was not comfortable at all. I went back to my phone. I got the wings and I bolted out of there like a shell out of a howitzer. (laughs) But you know what I experienced in that environment? I'm telling you, and you know it, the world is governed by something or someone. 
and they don't apologize for it. And ruination was throughout that whole room. Every form of darkness and immorality that drunkenness can cause was there. Felt like I walked into Sodom and Gomorrah. And my heart broke for those people. I wasn't even angry. I wasn't comfortable there. But yet my heart broke for them. So I started to pray for them while I'm dabbling in my phone and ready to get out. Right? Something does consume you. Those people, they were living for the here and now. I'm not so sure they had any thought for tomorrow. So if first-level seekers can do that, being consumed by their own desires and the consequences of those desires, how much more a second-level seeker seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, being consumed by someone other unto not consequences, but the fruit of that pursuit, which is eternal fruit. That makes us not worry about tomorrow, but be prepared to enjoy the reward of tomorrow without a hangover. Or the consequences of sinful choices that are made because we seek to govern ourselves. So as we wrap up this morning, Let's consider again what consumes two kinds of seekers and let's consider some fruit or consequences of both. First level seekers eat, drink, seek to be governed by what they can gain, whether it's needs or wants. We seek to ultimately be satisfied by who governs us in Christ, our Father. Everyone made in God's image can make and do some pretty amazing things that can make us happy for, for quite a while, right? But many of those things are temporary in nature and the joy and the satisfaction will only last for a while. There's, there's ugly things that man desires that controls them like I unfortunately slipped into, I'll never go back to you tomorrow. I, I don't even care how good their wings are, right? And then there's actually good things that man can pursue made in the image of God without Christ that only lasts for a little while. We're celebrating not long ago the anniversary of man making it to the moon, right? There's a lot of stuff going around our country celebrating that, documentaries, books being written, histories and so forth and um, I don't know, space travel fascinates me and I, I love to study the history of the Apollo space missions in the middle part of the 20th century, for those of you that remember that, that consumed not only individuals, but that consumed the whole country, didn't it? That consumed continents. The race to the moon, right? John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy comes up and he goes, you know what? We will be the first, because they're worried about Russia, right? Sputnik, all that kind of stuff. Russia actually created a device that could actually extract soil samples from the moon. They didn't put a human foot on it, but they beat us at least with something that could take a soil sample, and there's no way like Russia's going to beat us to the moon. They're not going to put a human foot on that terra firma before we do. 
So, Apollo space mission is consumed and consumes a culture. Doesn't matter how many triumphs they have in exploration or construction or how many tragedies. The curiosity of man is never satisfied. We learned in Ecclesiastes, and my goodness, if it's the last thing we do, whether we live or whether we die, we're going to get to the moon. Not a bad pursuit. I enjoy that because maybe in the image of God, man loves to follow the dominion mandate, right? No problem with that. Our nation and the world was quieted as Neil Armstrong prepared to climb down the ladder of the lunar module and step foot on another planet, if you will. And those famous words still we could say in chorus together this morning when his foot hits the soil and he stands two feet on the surface of the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, right? And when he does that, a global record television audience in unison cheers and applauds. It changes a culture, changes a world. The success of that mission would lead to other missions. You know that. That wasn't the first and last time, right? There were other opportunities to the point where it just kind of became somewhat mundane and it was awesome. But it, did it really ultimately satisfy any one particular astronaut's soul? Well, I think it did some, only because when they're giving that Christmas Eve broadcast, Neil Armstrong, in agreement with the other astronauts, reads Genesis chapter 1 to the whole world. What's your message for the world on Christmas Eve? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he reads the whole chapter. No one has a problem with it. Apparently. Times have changed, right? Those men knew what it meant to live for something higher than what they were doing that no man had ever done before. I wonder if they knew the Lord Jesus. Maybe we could assume they did. I don't know. It's fascinating to me what Buzz Aldrin initially said when he came behind Neil Armstrong to walk on the moon. His initial description of the surface of the moon when he stepped off the lunar module was two words, magnificent desolation. And I thought, wow, that describes everyone made in God's image who doesn't know Jesus. Magnificent desolation. first-level seekers are magnificently desolate. They're consumed by everything they can get that's temporary with no appreciation for the eternal. Second-level seekers, they're magnificent exclusively in Jesus Christ. And by His grace, miraculously saved, now they're miraculously compelled to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek what Christians ought to be consumed by. And for that, for us, they're just eternal things. 
So why do you get up tomorrow morning? Why do you get up in any morning? Why do you have a job? Why do you have a family? Why do you have a skill that God's given you regardless what that skill is? Why? Second level leaders know that their why is the why of their creator. It's the why of their father. It's the why we have the development of the body of our faith within us. To be healthy so that we can do what? So that we can do the why of our Savior and Creator Jesus Christ to go into all the world and to make disciples. So doing divine things together this year. Let's do this. Let's pray together. And I want you to pray yourself and then I want you to pray with your discipler and disciplee, again reminding you every time before you sit down and you open the book to study, I want you to pray that God would use you for eternal purposes according to great commission purposes. If you really want to know what seeking first the kingdom of God is and his righteousness spoken from the lips of our Savior, it must be it must be for you to do the mission of the Savior. It must be. It must be. Beg God before your exit from this planet. And in his mercy, he would use you to see someone come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Beg him. Beg him. Beg him. So many of us are in that process to God will you the glory. There's still a handful of us. It's been a long time since God compelled you by his grace to beg him to allow you to see someone to know Jesus Christ, come to know Jesus Christ, because you're consumed as a first-level seeker with the affairs of this earth. You're consumed with your job, providing food, clothing, shelter. You're consumed with the development or the falling apart of your relationship with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your boss. Temporary things and the difficulties those temporary things bring can consume you and drive you and govern you. But how about starting to live as a second level seeker? Let God govern you unto eternal purposes and let not let the world destroy you. by its teaching you to define life yourself how it ought to be instead of allowing God and his word to define for you how it ought to be. Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, certainly without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no possibility for us to be second level seekers as we've called them in this text. But as we know the Lord Jesus Christ and are governed by his grace, help us, the Lord, to jettison those things that consume us, that are temporary, and help us, Lord, to allow our eyes to ascend, to be governed by you and your grace unto things that are eternal. Help us to do this together and not alone. For none of us truly succeed alone, even as believers in this old world, let alone the church of Jesus Christ. And help us as a family, individually and collectively, 
to be consumed by eternal things, not just temporary things. Help us, Lord, to learn that all that you've given us is to be directed towards being spiritually interested in eternal things. May it grace in this year uh, we know a harvest of eternal purpose like we've never seen before that the Spirit of God desires to give to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.